So I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to talk about our growth, our spiritual growth, our spiritual formation uh, this morning. And I'm, I'm sure you know, many of you sitting here this morning would say, or would, yeah, would say of yourself that you're saved, right? I'm sure many of you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, I'm saved. What does that mean? You know, you know salvation means, that's, that's what salvation is about. Salvation means to be saved. Salvation means to be protected. What are you saved from? What are you protected from? Well, you're saved or you're protected from some kind of harm. You're saved or you're protected from a, di- a dire situation. Right? That's what salvation is all about. I'm, I'm saved by God's grace. I'm saved from something that could really be bad for me. The Bible, you all have a Bible, and when you read your Bible, the Bible repeatedly tells us that humanity has a Savior and that His name is Jesus. It tells us that God took on human form. The divine came and took on the form of humankind. Jesus came into this world to enlighten humanity about our corrupted condition and to make a way for us to be saved or to be rescued from that condition. And, and we often refer to that condition as a sinful condition. You know, I often say that there's a bigger picture story going on. I always say that I think there's a bigger picture story going on, and, it, and it's got to do with a realm that we can't see physically. With our physical eyes, we, there's a realm here that we cannot see. There's a bigger story going on. And Jesus, being both divine and human, literally took on part of that unseen realm. He took it on, literally, and he defeated that realm, that, that part of the realm that is opposed to God. And he defeated it. The way he did that was through a self-sacrificial act of love. That's what he did. He went to that cross on our behalf and he defeated Satan. He defeated the work of darkness. He made a way for us to be set free from the oppressive rule of every demonic power. Now here's the thing. Most often the way that this realm works uh, on earth, that's where we live, We live on earth, right? The way that this realm works most often is in and through us. Is in and through us. The work of evil begins in a human heart. The work of goodness begins in in, in a human heart. And so if our world is going to change for the better, it means that our hearts have to change for the better. And yay, or nay, whatever your side of the political fence is, we've got a new government, but the government is not our savior. The new government, I pray that God's going to do what he's going to do. But let me tell you something, a new government is not going to bring about a better Australia. If the world in Australia is going to become a better place, then our hearts have to change for the, for the better. And the saving work of Jesus, that salvation work, is something that starts in our hearts. Right? That's where it starts. It doesn't happen in some organization. It doesn't happen in some institution. It doesn't happen in some outer form of our existence. No, it starts deep within us. It starts within our, in our mind, in our heart, in our soul. Because salvation is primarily a work of inner transformation. 
That's what God's after. He's wanting to change you from the inside out. And so that inner transformation, if you allow God to begin to work in your life, it's going to change your character. It's going to change your ideas, your way of thinking. It's going to change your belief system. It's going to change your feelings. It's going to change your habits. It's going to change your bodily actions. It's going to change the way you relate to other people socially. It penetrates to the depths of who we are. And the way into it is actually quite simple. All you have to do is basically put your hand into the hand of Jesus and just walk with him. Start to walk with him. Jesus said you have to believe in him. And so what we do is we take a step of faith and we, we make a decision to believe him and follow him. We, we come to a place of repentance and belief. And when we come to that place, the work of salvation of Jesus, that work begins within us. His rescuing work starts to take place in our lives by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit because heart changes supernatural work. And let me just also say, you know, that when it comes to repentance, repentance is not something that's seen in tears or words or, or emotions. And so often that's what we think. We think if you're going to repent, well, well, I want to see it. I want to see you start to cry. I want to see you go down on your knees and, 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 and be anguished. And then I'm seeing repentance. No, 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 no. And yes, in a way, because it might happen, it might happen in a moment when a person gets touched by God. When a person gets touched by God in, in a powerful way, often that's what you'll see will happen. But that's not really what true repentance is all about. True repentance is an ongoing thing. Repentance is a long, slow, consistent change over an extended period of time because it is from the heart outward. It's a path that we take. There's movement involved. It's a journey. The predominant image uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible of the Christian life is that, it, that it's a journey. You're on a journey with God and there's going to be detours and you're going to obey God and disobey God and, and God's going to move you around this journey. He's going he's to form you. He's going to shape you. right? And so there's going to be stops. There's going to be starts. There, there is movement in our walk with God. It's a bit like this. I've got a diagram, and this is not necessarily the exact way it works. So don't come in to me and say, well, this is how it's supposed to. I'm just using this as an illustration this morning, right? This is kind of the way it works in following Jesus. It starts at a point right at the top there, stage one, where we, um, we be be become a Christian, right? There is a life-changing awareness of God that occurs in our life. That's what happens. You become aware that there's a, that there's a God. You become aware that, that you're a sinner and that you need a Savior. And you realize that God is alive. And so you accept Christ. You accept the work of Jesus into your life. And suddenly your life begins to look different. Suddenly you're aware of the language you're using. Suddenly you're aware of what you're looking at and your habits. Your life begins to look very different. And hopefully because of the life-changing awareness of God, you begin to learn and you begin to grow. And you kind of go into stage two, which is all about discipleship. And so you, you, you begin to learn about God. You pick up your Bible. You begin to read your Bible. You join a small group. You get into community with other Christians. You spend time with other Christians. You get baptized. Anybody here not been baptized yet? You get baptized. You work on being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so then in your everyday ordinary life, or extraordinary life, I don't know how ordinary or extraordinary your lives are, but in your normal everyday life, you move into this kind of stage three, this, where, where, where you actively start to serve Jesus. 
You consciously look for ways where you, can, where you can work for God. You look for, like, where is God working? How can I be part of what God's doing? You desire the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in your life, and you begin to operate in your giftings. And you use those gifts to be a blessing to others because you yourself know that God has blessed you abundantly. And then you hit it. Blast. It might be a blast. Blast from the past, who knows? But you hit it. You hit the wall. How many Christians hit do it just you know something happens? Uh and when, when that thing happens, it can be very difficult to navigate, very difficult to get through, difficult to transition that wall in your Christian journey. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians get stuck there and don't find a way through. They don't get through. But what I want to encourage you on this morning is that if you keep your focus on God, if you keep pressing in towards God and you know and you begin to realize deep in your heart that God is actually a good God, that God is a good God, and you build up a desire to hold on to the things of God, then you are going to get through that wall. You will get through that wall. And when you begin to get through that wall, what's going to happen is you will start to look at what's going on deep down on the inside of you. You will have a little bit of an inward journey. There's going to be some inner things that begin to change. Those inner hindrances are going to be dealt with. God's going to deal with those things, which is then going to lead to an outward movement where you're going to be, um, out, of, out of a result of what God's done on the inside of you, you will begin to make a journey outward, and you're just going to begin to serve God out of, a, out of, a, out of a, an outflow of what's happened on the inside. And although that it's, it's kind of similar to stage three over there, it's, 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 it's grounded in a whole different reality of who you are. Because there's depth to it. Because you've been through the fire. Because there's a maturity to it. Because you've journeyed through the wall and you've done that inward journey and you've looked at what's been happening on the inside of you. And so by God's grace, you begin to move. And then that stage six there on the left about being transformed into love, is, is, it's, about being grow, it's, it's about growing. It's about being transformed into the love of God and the love of God pouring out of you. Now who knows that a wall is a difficult and tough place to be. Because very often it's, it's an unknown place. And, and, and sometimes in our walk with God, we can land up being at a place like that, a wall like that, for quite a long time. And, and, and for some of us, it's new territory. But I also think that it's a necessary thing. I think it's a necessary thing for us to, to go through in our walk with God. Because I think that when we go through these kinds of trials, these kinds of testings, when we hit this wall, it's, it's, it, it allows God to begin to grow us and mature us into um, <laughs> wholehearted, devoted followers of Jesus. So I think it's a necessary thing for us to go through if we're going to be fully devoted to Christ. And I also just say to you, don't, think, don't look at that thing and think, oh, well, that's the journey. No, no, no. You're not going to hit a wall once. In our life, in our journey, we're going to hit a wall quite a few times. But as we continue to grow and as we continue to experience the depth of God, you know, 
we, we, will, we will come around. We will, we will repeat all these stages in, in, in this journey. and It's multiple times because God will begin a work. He'll clear up something and then there's going to be something else. It's, so there's going to be these multiple walls that you, that you go through in your life. And you might be wondering, what do I mean? Do you know what I mean when I talk about a wall? You might, some of you might be thinking, what is he on about? What kind of wall? Well, this is what I'm talking about. For most of us, the wall appears when a crisis comes into our life and, and turns our life upside down. And the kinds of things I'm talking about are those life-altering, life-shaking, earth-shattering moments. It might be a failed marriage. It might be a divorce. It, it could be a betrayal. It could be a job that you've had and suddenly you don't have that job anymore and your income's gone. It might be the death of a family member. It might be the death of a close friend. It could be a cancer diagnosis. It, it could be, it could, you know, I was talking to somebody this morning, it could be a disillusioning church experience that causes that. It could be a depression that's so deep that it's kind of got you paralyzed and there's somebody in our church who's struggling in that place right now. It could be a dream that gets shattered or, or a, troubled, you know, a troubled kid, you know, or a car accident. It could be the inability to get pregnant. It could be a deep desire to get married that remains unfulfilled. It could be a, a career that ended before it ever began or a business that ended before it ever began. Or it might be in your relationship with God and suddenly you've, got a, you've had this relationship with God and suddenly now you're going, you know, it feels like I'm so dry. There's a dryness. There's, 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 there's nothing here. You know, it's not working anymore. And you're wondering where God is. You've never experienced this before. And so when we hit a wall, what happens is we begin to question God. We actually we begin to question ourselves. We question the church. We question the people around us who call themselves Christians. And, 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 and there are always more questions than there are answers. It's like the very foundation of our life has, has been rocked. Like an earthquake experience. We don't know where God is. Like, where are you? We have no idea what he's doing, where he's going, you know, where he's taking us to. When are we going to get there? <laughs> When's it all going to be over? A lot of Christians hit a wall and they never make it through. And it, it, it means that what I'm saying there is that a lot of Christians get stuck in their journey with God. They get stuck in their journey with God. And maybe some of you, I don't know where you are, but maybe some of you are there today. Maybe you've hit a wall. I think that there are some folk in our church that are there. And you know what happens is you kind of just retreat. You kind of just go, oh, it's too much. You, you retreat. You go back to what you know. You, you kind of shut it out of your mind. But I want to go to Genesis 22 this morning because there's a guy in Genesis 22. His name is Abraham. And Abraham um, finds himself at a wall. And in fact, this is not his first wall. If you go and read Genesis, you'll find that Abraham hit a whole lot of walls. Uh, uh, in Genesis 12, you start reading and you see that he, God exists. I want you to leave the place where you live. I want you to leave your family, your culture, right? Your security. Get up, pack your stuff, and go. Abraham doesn't even really know where he's going, but he has to leave Ur. He's got to trust God and travel into the unknown. Let me tell you something. For anybody doing that, that is a wall. Can you imagine... Uh, you have a vision tonight and an angel of God comes to you and says, pack up and go to Cambodia.
Are you, are you, you with me, the kind of experience? God's like, this is it. I want you to go. Um, it's a war. When he gets to the promised land, there's a famine. He gets to the promised land and there's nothing to eat. It's another war. He's got to flee. He's got to go to Egypt. It's another war. He has conflict with Lot, right? And, and then they have to separate. That's another challenge, a war in his life. His wife, Sarah, if you remember, could not get pregnant. That was a major issue. That was a war in his life. And then Abraham goes and has a baby boy with Sarah's kind of handmaid, Hagar, and, and um, he has this little baby boy, and um, God says to Abraham, you have to send them away. I need to study that a little bit more, but I'll tell you what, what kind, of, what kind of wall is that to get through? The Bible actually says that it distressed Abraham greatly. But Abraham, this is the thing about Abraham, despite all of the anguish, and despite all of the promises of God that were difficult to believe, Right? That Sarah would have a child. <laughs> Sarah actually laughed about it. You know, that God says to him, He's going to be the father of many nations. Despite the anguish of all of the stuff he's been through, despite these ridiculous promises from God, Abraham continues to put his trust in God. And then we see this episode Sarah gets pregnant and they have a son. And they name their son Isaac. And, and God says to Abraham, Give him to me. Give me Isaac. Put him on an altar and, 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 and kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what. If I was Abraham, I, I would be going, God, when is enough enough? But, but God has a wall for him. And God wants to test him. And so in Genesis 22, the first two verses, <coughs> it says that after these things, it says God tested Abraham. And God says, Abraham. And Abraham says, I'm here. Here I am. And God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac. I know you love him. I want you to go to the land of Moriah and, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to show you. God is, God's, he has something profound that he wants to do in Abraham's life. I mean, Abraham loved Isaac. He was attached to him. This is a good love. This is the son he wanted, but, but God wanted to find out here what was going on in Abraham's heart. This was an issue of will. Will, which is our first learning point this morning. You know, when, 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 I, when I hit a wall, when I bang up against something in my life, what's my focus? Because the issue is God's will versus my will. That's the issue. God's will versus my will. You see, Abraham gets to this wall and actually, I'm, I'm amazed at Abraham because it's quite remarkable because I wish I was like Abraham. It says that it was accounted to Abraham in the New Testament to be a friend of God because of his faithfulness. And sometimes like, Lord, I'm just not so faithful. But Abraham gets to a wall and it's like he doesn't argue. He doesn't argue with God. He doesn't delay it. He doesn't say, God, can we push back the timetable over here? Does it really, do I really have to go there? Do I, you know, he doesn't get bitter and twisted about it. He's, he's, he doesn't get disappointed with God. I'm so disappointed in you. He doesn't shrink back. What does Abraham do? He just surrenders. He surrenders. He's being asked to do something I couldn't even begin to imagine. He, he's being asked to let go of something that he's clinging to, and it's a good thing. This is good. This is his son. It's his son Isaac. Isaac is a gift from God. 
But in some way, in some way, this gift has been holding back Abraham from greater intimacy with God. And so the fundamental issue here for Abraham was about his will. Not only his will, but God's will. God says, I want you to give me your only son. Now here's what we have to remember here. God has a goal for our life. And God's goal for our life is that we would live in the rich experience of his love for us. Right? But most of us, if we're honest, I think we have trouble in receiving this kind of love. This, the love of God. We have an intellectual understanding. It's very easy to, to say, oh, yes, I know. The Bible tells me God loves me. Yes, God loves me. I know. No, God's goal for us when it comes to understanding his love is that our will and his will would be so tightly connected that it's almost like one will. That we would live in union or oneness with God and that our will, our self-will, would be so transformed, so completely transformed by God that it would exclude everything else in our life that is contrary to God's will. Here's the thing. Here's what God's doing. Part of God's goal for our lives is to restore our image and likeness in Him. We are created in the image and the likeness of God. Every single one of us, we're created in the image and likeness of God. But that, but that image um, and likeness of God has been broken. It's damaged. And so God has come into our lives to restore or heal that image or likeness, His likeness. He's come to redeem that through His presence living in our life. When we receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in our life. And the Holy Spirit, if you read your Bible, you'll see the Holy Spirit is often spoken of as a fire. And so God's desire is that that fire basically takes over your life and burns out everything in your life that is false, that's an illusion, that's not of God. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit is, to come and purify what's going on in our lives so that you can become the true person that God originally intended for you to be. God has this goal for us because He loves us. He loves us. But to get us there, I'm telling you, God's going to bring us through some of these walls because He's got to clean us out. He's got to fill us up with Himself. And so often, so often when it comes to these walls in our life, we don't want the pain of it. I'd rather run a mile from it than deal with it. Isn't that true? When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to getting involved in a salvation community, when it comes to being part of that community, contributing to that community, understanding who God is in my life and living that out every day, and then I hit something, something goes wrong, and I'm going, I don't understand it, God. It doesn't compute. It's not going on. What happens in God saying, I've got some stuff that I want to deal with in your life, so often we're saying, no, no, I don't want to, I don't, that's too painful, God. Don't take me over there. I'm out of here. But God loves us so much that a wall is a place that he can begin to sort out some stuff in our life if we let him. Joe? Sorry, man. I'm just wanting to get through this. Anything that's going to hold us back in our relationship with God, God wants us to relinquish or surrender. Anything. Folk, listen to me. 
if there's stuff in, in, our, in our life that is going to hold us back from coming into a deeper relationship with him, God is saying, I want you to let that go. And you might say to yourself, well, what are those things? Those things are in our life, and there are things that we find our identity in. There are things that we find our value in. And you know what it can be? It can be like a career. So often that's the most important thing in our life. Or it could be our level of intellect. I'm so clever, I know all things. And we, and we put, uh, there's a pride that comes in because of that. It could be an addiction. You've got an addiction in your life and God's saying, I've got to deal with that. Or there are gifts and talents that you have and you kind of like, look at me, right? Or, or, or it could be the way you do things. It could be the way that we do church. And sometimes, you know, uh, we're finding our value in that. Or it could be something to do with our uh, friends or our, or our family. And those are the things that God wants to deal with in our lives, where God wants to change us, and God wants to rework and renew our minds and our spirits if we let him. So spiritual formation can take place. There's a purging of the things of the world and a love for the things of God. Let's just look at some of the things that God wants to deal with. I've got a little list over here. One of the first things, and I think one of the major things that God wants to deal with in our lives, is pride. God says, I'll resist the proud. And so, what is pride? Pride is that unjustified assumption of superiority or arrogance. And it comes into your life, and you can see it visibly when people deal with other people. You can see it playing out. Or it could be um, your spiritual progress, or your standing in Him. And I tell you what, God's going to come after pride in our lives because it's out of place. What about greed? Greed is discontentment. It's about constantly comparing yourself with other people. It's about, oh, look what, they, look what they've got. Why don't I have that? It's about getting what, what, what you want, getting all you can get. That's greed. God says that's out of place. I want to deal with that in your life. Luxury. You know, you know what luxury is about? Luxury is about living your life for yourself. It's living for you, where it's all about you. It's your own pleasures. And I tell you what, even as a Christian, we can, we can love God and go after God for our own pleasure because it's more about the pleasure and the feelings and the blessings of God than, you know, God can give that all to me than it is about God himself. Truly loving him and, and, and falling down on my knees and worshiping him for who he is. I put this word irritability in there. Anybody ever get irritable? To me, irritability is like a lack of patience. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like very often it's a lack of patience to wait on God even. Uh, it's, it's, it's being easily irritated or annoyed. And God's like, no, no, we're going we're gonna to have to deal with that. I want to deal with that. Spiritual gluttony. Anybody ever heard of spiritual gluttony? Uh, this is about where you love the Christian life. You love those teachings, those new teachings. You listen to all the podcasts of whoever that American pastor is or European or British pastor or, you know, that big ministry or, you know, that great big mission, you know, whatever it is. You know, you love those new insights. You love those new revelations. But when it comes to sacrifice and serving and dying to self, no, I don't, I don't want any of that. Spiritual envy. <sighs> unhappiness about other people doing well. You know what I'm saying? Why are they so blessed? Well, why are you blessing them so much, God? And I've got, I've got all this trouble. Why is it not working out? And why are they so blessed? <laughs> God wants to deal with that. And laziness. And I think God wants to deal with this in the church today in a big way. 
Because this is where you run from the things in the Christian life that are hard and you look for an easy way out. And I believe that God wants to remove those things from our lives. And don't we all know how difficult it can be when God wants to do a deeper work inside of us? We all know. The question, though, is are we going to surrender and submit to God in these areas or aren't we? Are we going to allow God to bring that change in our life? Will we be obedient? I mean, how many of us can pray this prayer to God? I, I just, I've got this little prayer over here. Just think about these words for a moment, just for a moment. How many of us can genuinely pray this prayer? God, bring me closer to you, no matter what the consequences. Just think about that. God, bring me closer to you, no matter what the consequences. We struggle with this. You know why? Because it's my will versus God's will. The second learning point at the wall this morning concerns the discovery of the work that we have to do. You know, God's doing a lot, but what's my work in all of this? What's my work in this? What's the work that I have to do? Well, the first thing I'd say is that my work begins with an awareness. When I'm at a war, when something earth-shattering has happened in my life, when I've got all those questions going, I actually have to begin to look at what's going on on the inside of me. I have to look at my own wounds and my own brokenness and, and my need for healing because when you hit a wall, you'll realize that there's a whole lot of other stuff going on on the inside of you that you never knew was there. And so it's an awareness that is going to help you begin to name some of those issues and begin to own those issues and admit those issues are here inside of me. You know, I'm sure many of us here this morning have a prayer life, you know, and, and often <laughs> when something bad comes into our life, if you're a good Christian like me, we rebuke it, right? <laughs> something bad. In Jesus' name, devil, get out of here. You have no right. You've got no place over here. Be gone in Jesus' name. You know, something bad's happened. Be gone, devil. But, and this is where an awareness is important because sometimes what we might think is bad, you know, God himself might be bringing into our life to strip away all the illusions and bring me to my senses. But I'm only going to know it with a self-awareness. It's only when, I, when I'm open, opening up to God and saying, God, what is going on on the inside of me that I'm going to begin to sense and see the hand of God at work inside of me. So an awareness. The second part of, of, of the work that I have to do in getting through a wall is the issue of forgiveness. And let me tell you, I just want to take a different angle on forgiveness over here because this is a big issue. When you hit an earth-shattering experience in your life, it's not pretty. It's not all organized and sorted. It's normally a mess. And so it's not clean and tidy Christianity. And often, you know what happens is we hit a wall and then we fall into a trap of beating ourselves up. Like, I'm so bad. I'm, I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I'm, I'm not clever enough. I'm, not, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm a loser. I'm dumber than dumb. And so the great challenge when you hit a wall is to receive forgiveness, to receive the love of God for me, the love that God has for me right there in my mess. I have to let God love me. Because if I'm walking out there and I'm still beating myself up over things that have happened and things that I've been involved in or, or stuff that's gone down, if I'm beating myself up in all of this, how am I ever going to love anybody else? How am I going to love you? 
If I have not accepted God's forgiveness, how am I ever really going to be able to forgive anybody else? If I haven't accepted my own imperfections, my own anger, all those things on the inside of me, how will I ever be able to accept the anger or the imperfections or those things in anyone else's life when I'm called to love them? No, I'm going to see that it's just going to rile me up again. The great distinctive of Christianity is that the love of God for us has no strings attached. No strings attached. God loves human beings so much that he came and he died for us and he rose from the dead. And that love, that love, is meant to invade our lives. It's meant to envelop us and fill us up and flow out of us. And God's purpose here is not to use you. God doesn't want to use you as a tool. He's not, he's wanting, not wanting to use you to get his work done. He's all about, first and foremost, loving you, loving me in a profound relationship where everything else that relationship of God, it's, it's out of that that everything flows. Every, everything, everything happens out of that relationship with God. But this challenge of forgiveness is huge because it's not just knowing in my head that God loves me. It's about actually experiencing it. It's, it's, it's about allowing that to make me softer towards people. It's about allowing God to make me less judgmental. Allowing God to help me have compassion for people and so it's really really important that I come to understand and receive the forgiveness of God and so you have this work of awareness and the work of forgiveness but there's also a work of acceptance and this is about embracing who you are who, how God has wired you and made you this is about accepting me for who I am I don't have to perform I, I can step out of the illusion and you know what I can accept my own brokenness because I'm broken. And I can accept that. And I can know that, that this is how this, God's dealing with me. I, I, I have limits. And I accept those limits. And I recognize as I see the depths of that. That I'm never going to be completely healed. Or completely whole. Or completely perfect in this life. I'm only ever going to be completely whole when I see God face to face. And so what I can do is. It's not that I'm going to justify or use that brokenness as an excuse for going off in the wrong direction. No, I can accept that brokenness before God and I can accept that God is going to work through all of that on the inside of me so that I can embrace what's gone down in my life. I can embrace those wounds that I've suffered and let those things teach me as I head through the rest of my life. The Bible tells us that God delights in a broken and a contrite heart. And so at a wall, there's a, there's a work that only God can do. But there's also a work for us to do. And I'll tell you, if we persevere, we'll be freed from those things that we're carrying in our lives. There will be a change in us. <laughs> when you've come out of that deeper place, out of that fire, you're not going to worry about people's expectations, where you work, your boss, your family, your friends, you know, the, the society, the norms of society, the, the, the norms of the culture. You're not going to worry about that stuff anymore because God is going to make you alive to what he's placed in you. He's going to make you alive to him. And so to journey through a wall, to persevere in trusting God, is, is being open to him to do that, allowing, allowing him to do that in our lives. But I'll tell you now, it takes work. There's a part of it that we have to actually engage in. 
Because here's the thing about a wall. You know, a wall is not just one brick. It's, it, it, it's not just my addiction that I'm dealing with. No, no. This is about my anger with my alcoholic father. This is about my marriage that's falling apart. This is about a couple of other things going on at the same time. Uh, you know, m my pride. This is what it's all about. And so it's not just one brick, it's a thousand bricks. And it might be a slow process, but that's what God wants to get engaged in. God wants to say, let's just begin to restore the image and likeness of me in your life, one brick at a time. Will you open up? Will you let me do it? Will you confess? Will you humble yourself? Will you allow me to address these issues in your life? Because only when I begin to address these issues on the inside of you, are you going to come through? Are you going to see my blessing? Are you going to see my healing in your world? Are you going to see things transformed? But you're at a wall. And you've got to be open and honest about it. And we've got to begin to take these things apart because I want to see you mature in me. And that's why I say repentance is a slow process. It's one brick at a time. But we've got to be available to it. And we just say, God, where do you want me to be involved in this? What do I need to be doing? And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what when, when we do this in our lives, God can turn this around and he can do something extraordinary. He can do something extraordinary. There's value in remaining faithful to God, not running away. There's value in journeying through those difficulties, not sweeping it under the carpet. In, you know, in Hebrews 12 verse 8, it says, if you're not disciplined, and it says, and everyone undergoes discipline, it says, then you're not a legitimate ch ch a child of God at all. If you're not disciplined, and sometimes we've got to let God discipline us. And one of the evidences of being a child of God is allowing God, because of his love for us, to pull out of our lives those things that hinder our relationship with Him. God's saying, I want to get this out of you so that He can make you to be the extraordinary man or the extraordinary woman that He designed you to be. You know what was amazing about Abraham? He, just, he had no idea how it was all going to work out. He had no idea what his life was going to become. God comes to Abraham and speaks an extraordinary promise over his life, an amazing promise promise over Abraham's life and Abraham never saw it in his lifetime God said to him you're going to be through you I'm going to bless the nations you're going to be a blessing to all nations and Abraham didn't see that but you know what Abraham did he remained faithful he remained faithful even through the hardest of tests the most difficult of walls And because of that faithfulness, something extraordinary happened because it was out of that generational line that Jesus was brought into this world. Amazing. But because he was faithful. Because he didn't say, God, I'm, I'm running away from you. Now I'm going to press through this. And you know, when, when, when we set our eyes on God's purposes, when we begin to discover his purposes for our life in this little time span that we have on planet Earth, When we seek after him first, Jesus can become a blessing through us to other people. Not only now, but through your children and to the generations to come. Your life can be a blessing. Your life can be a lighthouse. It can be a lamp. What does your journey look like this morning? I don't know what your journey looks like. God knows. But I want to remind you that God's promise to you is that if you journey with Him, if you trust Him, if you work with Him, if you allow Him to work in you, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, you will come through a completely changed person. You won't hesitate in praying that prayer. Lord, bring me closer to you, no matter what the consequences. 
It's just going to be like it's an automatic. God, whatever you want, I'm going to I'm going to lay it down. I'm laying it all down. God, you come and do a work. No matter what, I want you first. Doesn't matter what comes my way, Lord. Do what it takes to draw me closer to you. Amen.